Eagles Entertainment. The journey of the draft is driven by AAA. AAA, roadside is their strong side. Make AAA a part of your game day today. AAA, go ahead. With the 21st pick in the NFL Draft, the Philadelphia Eagles select... You're listening to the Journey to the Draft podcast. Welcome to the Journey to the Draft podcast, driven by AAA. I'm your host, Fran Duffy, and we're going to get things started here with our very first preview, our conference preview of the 2020 college football season for what we know so far. Obviously, look, there are a ton of unknowns, and we're, we're recording this uh, Tuesday the 14th. Uh, it's There's a, a lot that still needs to be decided here with start dates and how many games are being played and what, all kinds of things that need to be decided. But we're still going to talk about these players because uh, you know the, the NFL draft is still going to happen next spring. There's going to be some sort of season in some way, shape, or form, whether it's in the fall or in the spring. We're going to talk about these guys. And so today we're going to preview the players outside of the Power Five conferences. And we are going to include the independents like Notre Dame. And so we'll talk about all these players. Dane Brugler makes his debut from The Athletic here on the Journey of the Draft podcast. So he, myself, and Ben Fennel are going to talk about all the top players outside of the Power Five. Really excited to get this series going. But we are going to start things off with Mr. Relevant, with Pete Sampson, who has been on the show a number of times. He's a beat writer for Notre Dame. And as I mentioned, a lot of unknown right now. There's some murkiness about you know what schedules are going to look like. Uh, the Pac-12 and Big Ten both canceled out of conference play last week, so that's, that impacts schools like Notre Dame. So I wanted to bring Pete on, give us a little bit of insight into the latest going on, not just with Notre Dame, but with college football in general. So we'll kick things off here in Mr. Relevant. It's time for Mr. Relevant. Well, joining us this week on Mr. Relevant, a guy who's been on this show a number of times, that's Pete Sampson, a Notre Dame beat writer for The Athletic. Pete, welcome back to the show, man. Hey, thanks for having me. So we want to kind of dive into the latest that's going on. And obviously, look, last week, uh, big news in the college football world, the, the Big Ten Conference, the Pac-12 Conference, both announcing that they are shifting to conference-only schedules for the 2020 season. Whatever that season looks like, they are only going to play teams within their conference. And so... For a team like a Notre Dame, which is an independent on the outside of a conference, you know that means you lose games against, uh, you know, the USC and Stanford and Michigan, and you you lose those uh, those those games from the schedule. So let me ask you this: I mean, as we sit here today and we're recording this on Tuesday, July 14th, what does this mean for Notre Dame right now? With with the threat of other conferences doing the same thing here in the coming days, uh, what does it look like for the Irish here this fall? I think it for Notre Dame, it just means to sit tight for a minute. Um, with the ACC, they've sort of given uh, Notre Dame assurances that they'll take care of them. Um, you know, if the ACC goes conference only, I don't expect Notre Dame's six ACC games to go away, um, the same way that the Wisconsin game went away or USC or Stanford went away. So I, I don't think there's much concern from Notre Dame's point of view in that. I think it's more likely that the ACC will go conference only and that will actually add inventory for Notre Dame, whether that be you've got Miami, Boston College, Syracuse. Um, they all lost games against Big Ten opponents. Um, Virginia Tech's in that group, too. So those are four ACC teams that need inventory. Well, Notre Dame is right there to help you out with it. Um, and, it, you know, it's a mutually beneficial relationship, which is sort of why the Notre Dame ACC deal works. So I don't you know, as much as conference only scheduling would seem like a, a 
worst case scenario for Notre Dame. I think the ACC's relationship and their perspective there, I, I think they will be all right because it, it works for the ACC to have Notre Dame involved with them when you're trying to get eyeballs on your product, put games on the ACC network and basically help to help the conference make money. So I guess that's the part of this that we that people aren't necessarily talking about is that uh, Notre Dame does have uh, what is the title of that agreement? It's like a, almost like a, a part time affiliate agreement uh, with that with the ACC conference. I know they're full time members in other sports, right? But just not in football. Uh, kind of dive into the details of that relationship. Yeah. So they play an average of five ACC teams per year in football, and then they're in the league and in all the other Olympic sports that the ACC supports. Um, they actually play hockey in the Big Ten Conference. But Got it. Okay. You know, for men's, women's basketball, soccer, lacrosse, that's, those are all ACC sports now. Um, and then in football, they basically give them a, an average of five games per year. Sometimes that's four. This year it happens to be six. Probably a good year for that, um, just based on the fact that that means the ACC is going to you're going to get half of your schedule uh, right there. And if you're, if you're only playing 10 games, maybe it's more than half. But with ACC teams needing inventory, I think that the ACC will probably go to the and say, hey, we actually want to play you more in this conference-only slate opposed to playing you less. How, how do you think – obviously, look, so much unknown right now. Mm-hmm. How do you think all of this shakes out, man? How, what do you think the college football season looks like? <sighs> I mean, if my best guess here on – what. July 14th as we're recording, I I don't think they're going to play in the fall. Um, I think it's going to be a spring season, you know, short spring season, maybe nine games, 10 games. Uh, maybe there will just be the college playoff and no other bowls. Uh, and then they're just going to really hope that they can get back to normal in the 2021 season. But I, I just think the way college football is trending right now, it's, it's – and you see – you know, the numbers going up, what's happening in California, what's happening in Texas, what's happening in Florida. It's difficult to, to see how the college football season would work. I hope that it does. I mean, I hope that they can play this short schedule in the fall of conference-only games uh, instead of waiting. But it's, um, it's just a very – I mean, we're talking about some schools that have to shut down their workouts just before students actually get back. Um, yeah. You know, what's that going to look like? So it's – there's just a lot of unknowns right now. I think in college football, probably more than um, more than people realize. And you know, the three states you just mentioned, obviously, three of the recruiting hotbeds right. in the country. I mean, how that affects high school football, uh, I think, is also huge uh, for the college football landscape. Well, look, Pete, before before we let you go, uh, you know, we're getting ready to dive into the top players for Notre Dame that are returning here for whatever this 2020 season looks like with Dane Brewer in the next segment. And you've been on this show numerous times, like I mentioned, and you are always great at kind of like highlighting guys for Notre Dame that are coming down the pipe, you know, maybe not for this year, but for the year after the year after that. I remember you mentioned Jerry Tillery uh, early on in his career before he became a first round pick. Is there anybody that you've kind of got your eye on, kind of, you know, that's young in their career, maybe not on the national stage yet in terms of their spotlight that we should definitely be keeping an eye on down the road for this Notre Dame team? Yeah, there, there are two guys that I think are worth monitoring. One for next year's draft cycle that probably is kind of off the radar a little bit. Um, and another for two years down the road, who I think will be almost a certain first-round pick. Um, the guy for this year is, a, uh, is an outside linebacker named Jeremiah Wusu-Koromoa um, from sort of the Tidewater area in, in Virginia. Uh, came in, really didn't play his first two years. One year he just redshirted, the other one he had a broken foot uh, and missed basically the entire season. Um, really what, like one of Notre Dame's breakout players last year. Um, super 
sort of freaky athletic outside linebacker, you know, kind of one of those modern linebackers who is comfortable playing in space and in coverage just as well as, as fitting the run. Very disruptive uh, when he flies off the edge. Uh, I think he tied for the Notre Dame's team lead in tackles last year and uh, was up, way up there, if not the team leader in tackles for loss. So I, I think he's somebody that initially you figured, okay, he's probably going to be a five-year college player because he missed his first two years. If he takes the next step as a senior that he did as a junior last fall, like he's out after this year. Um, he'll, he'll be probably kind of a day two pick, maybe a second, third round guy. Uh, and then if you follow Notre Dame, you know who Kyle Hamilton is. Yeah. But um, he's, he'll be a sophomore safety in the fall, was a reserve last year, uh, but played a ton. I think he is a lock first round pick in two years. Uh, he's 6'4", 225 but moves like he's 180, uh, high points the ball. And he's kind of one of those guys where the ball just finds him. I mean, his first practice last August, he had three interceptions, um, led Notre Dame in picks last year. I think he's he's just what you want an NFL safety to look like. Um, and Notre Dame happens to have him in college for the next two seasons. So those are those are two guys, like if you're not following Notre Dame very closely, you probably don't know who they are. Um, if you're a little bit more in the weeds with draft stuff, those are probably names that have bubbled up a little bit. But um, Hamilton and Tiller, are, it's an interesting comparison because they both sort of have reach and length and height that is just very unique, even at the NFL level. Um, so, yeah, Jeremiah was Cornwall, Kyle Hamilton. Those are your, your two guys to probably start tracking now if you're interested in Notre Dame's draft prospects. I'll tell you, man, you're, you're making me feel really good about myself because they're two guys that I'm planning on talking about in this episode. So for you to bring them up makes me feel good about uh, my surface-level evaluation so far. Well, Pete, you're good to go, then. Yeah, the dude, thank you so much for joining us once again here on the Journey of the Draft podcast, driven by AAA. Uh, we'll hopefully talk to you again soon, man. Absolutely. Thanks, friend. Now it's time for Draft Buzz. All right, so let's get things going here for Draft Buzz. And for the first time, I want to welcome in here for the 2021 NFL Draft, uh, Dane Brugler, good friend of the show. He's going to be on the show every single week from here out, which is really, really exciting news. We broke it on the show uh, last week, and we talked about it on social media the week before. Dude, Dane, welcome back. welcome to the show, man, on a more permanent basis. Brand Ben, this is this is awesome. I was uh, yeah, as a longtime listener of the podcast. Uh, really, really honored you guys asked me to, uh, you know, add my voice, and you know, I'm I'm excited to talk about these players. You know, there's a lot of uh, uncertainty, obviously, with everything going on right now. But you know, one thing we know is the 2021 draft. It's going to happen in some capacity, some way, somehow. So we have plenty of players to talk about to go through and. Uh, it's it just going to be a really fun thing as we do this weekend, we go. And, you know, Ben obviously has been uh, chewing my ear off before this episode because we're doing all the players outside of the Power Five conferences. And as Ben has told me uh, numerous times since uh, I sent that initial email out about this episode, that's a lot of players. Uh, ben, are you excited <laughs> to get this episode going? Yeah, absolutely. And just to give the lay of the land here, we're going to do a preview for all the non-Power Five teams. So there's 64 Power Five teams. And just for a perspective, there's 60 group of five. So that's Mountain West, the American Conference USA, and then 124 FCS teams. So that's at least 180 teams, not even counting D2 and D3. So just to put that all together on why we're grouping together nearly 200 teams of prospects is the majority of players are coming from the power five. And just for perspective, 
the last three years in the NFL draft, nearly 75% of the players are power five players. So we're obviously putting our time and our attention to the conferences that matter most for transitioning to the NFL. But every year you're going to have the Jordan loves. You might have some Ed Olivers and some Titus Howards. And then three years ago, you had six players coming from this group with the, you know, Quentin Nelson, Mike McGlinchey, Leighton Vander Esch, Mike Hughes, Rashad Penny, Marcus Davenport. We obviously know the Carson Wentz year a couple of years ago. So at any particular year, one of these players from these types of schools can get a lot of love and be a top prospect for the NFL. And uh, it's fun to kind of dig into this this time of year, especially the fact that most scouts are a little behind the eight ball right now, not having pro days last spring which pro days are great for the current draft, but that's really the starting point for next year's draft as well in acquiring names, information, heights, weights, buzz, maybe guys that were injured that have some potential hearing from coaches. So it's a really fun time period. And like Dane was saying, it's a little uncharted and uh, not really knowing what to expect in 2020, but plenty of players to talk about. No question. And so really the way we'll kind of do this, we're going to do the same categories every single week for each conference. And as you mentioned, it's all the teams outside the power five. We did include the independents in this group. So, you know, you throw in like BYU, UMass, and certainly Notre Dame, which a lot of people would factor in with the power five programs. But uh, the first category we're going to do is the top prospects, the top overall prospect who is eligible for the 2021 NFL draft. And guys, this player is not from Notre Dame uh, for me, and it's not for Notre Dame, from Notre Dame uh, for Dane. Dane, I'll let you kind of kick us off. Who, In your mind, who is the top 2021 prospect, uh, regardless of position, when you're talking about outside the Power Five conferences? Yeah, and it's not even an FBS player. Uh, yeah. We go down to the FCS level for Trey Lance, the exciting quarterback uh, from North Dakota State. And, you know, when I finished his tape uh, a couple weeks ago, uh, I, I watched eight of his games and I was just, I was blown away at just the number of ways he can beat the defense uh, with his arm, with his legs uh, on paper. He looks great. Uh, you're talking about zero interceptions. He had something like 42 total touchdowns, uh, 28 passing, 14 rushing. So to go 16 and no win an FCS national title, uh, pretty impressive. But when the tape matches uh, what the what the production and the raw stats say, that's the, when it gets, starts to get you really excited, especially considering he's a redshirt freshman last year. He's only going to be a redshirt sophomore, still very young. Uh, you know, you still kind of wonder, what does he know? What does he not know yet in terms of reading defenses, going through his progressions? But he's so uniquely talented. Reminded me a lot of a, a bigger Kyler Murray. And, uh, you know, I... I, I feel like I'm putting a lot on him. He's such a young player, but that, that's what I see when I watch him. There's a lot to like about what he brings uh, and just the number of ways that he can beat you. Yeah, I wrote down uh, Jimmy Garoppolo. I wrote down Dak Prescott. I think he's got that same twitch that Kyler's got. You know, when you, t- when you talk about, uh, you know, from him from an athletic standpoint, I agree with you that uh, certainly from the mental side of the game, I'd like to see him just get a little bit better understanding pressure schemes pre-snap, understanding when he's got to get to his hot route. I thought he left some plays on the field uh, just by getting to the check down a little bit too quickly. So, again, just understand from a mental processing standpoint, I think he's got some areas to, to kind of clean up. But this is a kid who came in as a redshirt freshman. He goes 16-0. He wins the Walter Payton Award as the Offensive Player of the Year in the FCS level. He wins the Jerry Rice Award as the Freshman of the Year at the FCS level. NCAA record. NCAA record. 
287 pass attempts without an interception. Um, you know, I think this is a kid that obviously has been taking care of the ball. It was a run first offense, right? Like, let's not, let's not uh, get a little too crazy. They certainly wanted to run the ball. They, they operated with, uh, you know, look, understanding like, look, this is a, this is a freshman quarterback. We don't want to put too much on his plate, but I agree with you, Dane. And that this is a kid to me, when you're talking about projecting what he could be in the future, I'm really, really excited about this kid. I thought he was a natural arm talent, could make all the throws, smooth athlete. I mentioned the, the twitch that he showed. To me, like this was a kid that had the ability to escape pressure and create outside of structure, but he didn't live outside of structure. I thought he did a really good job executing the offense. He did have some pre-snap responsibilities. He would set up, help set up uh, protections with the running back. Uh, did have the ability to audible at times. I thought he was really tough with the ball in his hands, both as a runner and as a passer. Overall, the good accuracy. So to me, like, really, really impressive talent. I, I was really blown away. Uh, I, I ended up watching six kids or six games of this kid. Um, yeah, I was very, very impressed uh, with Trey Lance. Yeah, and I, I think you made a good point about this is a an offense that would run the ball to set up the pass. Uh, North Dakota State, they averaged 45 rush attempts in a game last year and only 18 pass attempts. So this is – a lot of that is because North Dakota State was so so much better than a lot of the teams they faced. And they got up to uh, – you know, got the lead uh, early and then just ran the ball. And so that, that plays into it. And what do we always talk about when we mention, you know, quote-unquote small school players? How do they do against the best opponents on the schedule? And – this upcoming season, uh, you know, they were scheduled to go to Eugene and play an Oregon defense that has a lot of future NFL mm -hmm. players on it. Unfortunately, that's not going to happen because of everything going on with the pandemic and the Pac-12 looking like they're only going to play conference games this year. Uh, you know, hopefully we see that. So that's it's a missed opportunity. And, uh, you know, that's, you know, Lance can't control that he can't control the opponent he can just go out there and play so a lot of hype right now and you know i recently i'm doing my position by position previews on the athletic right now uh my quarterbacks just came out last week and he came in at number two for me uh in terms of draft wow. eligible quarterbacks just behind trevor lawrence and just ahead of justin Fields. so uh, very high on this young man uh, i think he has all the ingredients to be a top five pick and uh, it just you know, it, very eager to see what he does. I, you know, it's, he put the bar so high as a freshman. What is he going to do as a sophomore? How is he going to follow that up? Uh, certainly has the talent around him to be just as impressive as he was last year. But yeah, guys, I feel like it's the perfect system around him because that dominant run game, which they were third in total rushing in FBS and FCS combined, and they had the number one scoring defense. It's a great system to set up for a young player like that. I love the ball handling and the variety of run schemes. That was one of the more impressive aspects of him is just the variety of ball handling into play action, not only in the pocket, but getting him outside the pocket. And just to paint the full picture, the two things I really want him to improve on are two things I say for a lot of young players. Get the ball out faster and protect yourself. And there's a little bit of that youthful exuberance and maybe taking on too many defenders and you like seeing the toughness. Now that we've seen it, let's dial it back. Let's protect yourself. And those are all coachable, correctable things for young players. So, Ben, we, we kind of waxed poetic uh, on Trey Lance. Uh, let's let's get into your – who's your top overall prospect here for outside the Power Five? Well, I think I'd be remiss to not mention an offensive tackle and another deep tackle class, obviously headlined by Penny Sewell and Alex Leatherwood and Cosme and Walker Little and Alaric Jackson. But Notre Dame's been pumping out a lot of tackles lately, whether it's Mike McGlinchey or Ronnie Stanley. Well, the next in line is Liam Eckenberg. 
and that's a uh, senior red shirt. He's a four-star in that coveted 2016 class of Greg Little and Jonah Williams. He's been a two-year starter over at left tackle, taking over that Ronnie Stanley and Mike McGlinchey era. He's allowed no sacks last year. He's just a really smooth player, really effortless, calm pass sets. He's really long. He's got the prototypical frame and length at 6'6", 305, really good punch, always leading with his hands. Really smooth player. Just like to see him get a little bit stronger, a little bit more of an edge to him. He's not a mauler. He likes to be in the right position, get to his landmark, and then battle you a little bit. It reminds me a lot of the way Anthony Costanzo looked at Boston College. Mm -hmm. Really smooth, always in the right spot. You just want a little bit more finish, a little bit more nasty. And that's all coachable stuff because he's got the tools and the technique. He's surrounded by a lot of seniors and Ian Book and running back Jafar Armstrong and a really good offensive line. Tommy Kramer over at right guard's a really nice player as well. So I think Liam Eckenberg can easily squeeze his way into the first round and be a top five tackle in a deep tackle class. So I haven't watched Eichenberg yet, but I'm excited to, to dig into him. I like the, uh, the Costanzo comparison. Let's get into the top seniors uh, on offense. Ben, since uh, Dane and I kind of got the jump on Trey Lance, we'll let you kick this one off. Who's your top senior on offense outside the power five? Well, I'm going to go with a guy that's extremely productive over at South Dakota State. We've seen some players come out of there lately, like Eagles, Dallas Goddard, but this receiver, Cade Johnson, who's 5'10", 180, he's a little undersized, that zero-star recruit coming out of high school, but absolutely dominating uh, in the past game and all over the field. I mean, if you look at the last two years combined, so 2018 and 2019, he's second in all of college football in yards, and that's ahead of Tyler Johnson, CeeDee Lamb, Jerry Judy. It's really a who's who on that list. Uh, and it's really impressive to watch him work down the middle of the field. He plays a lot bigger than his 5'10", 180 frame suggests. He's a good returner. He's a sharp route runner. Great strong hands tracking, whether down the field or junk catches along the sideline. Some of the names I wrote down because he reminds me of so many of these quarterback's best friend in college football, whether it was Jordan Shipley at Texas or Dane Seisenbacher. But I really think he could turn into a Hunter Renfro or Danny Amendola or the way Austin Carr was that uh, I think he won the Triple Crown at Northwestern his final season there. No huge redeeming qualities. He's not going to run 4-4. He's not over six foot. He's not over 200 pounds, but he just does everything right you need from a receiver. And I think he's going to be a guy that squeezes his way maybe into day three and just will be one of those tough guys to cut. And I don't know if he could turn into that Danny Amendola or maybe a Ricky Prohl type of receiver, but man, this kid is fun to watch. And they nearly beat uh, Minnesota last year if you want to see him against a, uh, a top team. Yeah, I always struggle with guys like that because it's like, you see so many examples of the guys that work and then you see, you know, so many of the guys that, that just don't find a way to make it. Uh, but certainly there is a role for that kind of player. I felt like that's why I had to list Seisenbacher and Jordan Shipley because right. those guys dominated in college. Yeah. They caught everything. You thought they were just going to be that prototypical slot and never really found a home in the NFL. So definitely a little bit of a buyer beware with these type of players. I like that. Dane, who do you got here? I went with uh, Marquis Stevenson uh, over at Houston. Uh, he wanted a guy with speed. This guy has it. And, you know, he's got an interesting backstory. He's overcome a lot, uh, coming from kind of a, a smaller high school. Uh, and he was really underdeveloped. Talking to uh, guys that I'm close to at the Houston program, he was really underdeveloped when they got him. But they have done a lot of work with him. His confidence has grown over the years. 
And, you know, he's had some injury issues, but he's worked past those. Uh, when you watch him on the field, he just looks like he's faster than everybody else. Uh, it makes everybody else look slower. You see burst off his plant foot. He can make hard cuts and then he can fly uh, with the ball in his hands. He had two kick returns for touchdowns last year. Um, it just, his speed looks different than everybody else on the field. Uh, and that allows him to make some open, open field plays. Um, needs to get a little bit better. We talk about contested tries. Um, you know, he's got some, some straight line tendencies in his routes. So I want to see him become a little more detail oriented, but I think he's got, uh, just the athletic traits that you're looking for at the position that could really push him into, uh, you know, that, that third round range, uh, maybe even higher if he's able to develop as a senior. And Dane, I'm really shocked he's kind of hung out there because he's from that dominant 2016 class that Tom Herman brought in everybody mm -hmm. with Ed Oliver and Derek King and all these guys. And then Tom Herman leaves for the big job at Texas. So kind of respect Stevenson to fight through the injuries, fight through the coaching changes and uh, hang around his career there. Uh, I'm going to finish this off here with a, a third receiver. And this is a guy that I watched last year after he's tore his ACL in September and this is Rico Bussey Jr. He tore his ACL back in September. I watched the first three games of that season before the injury. And then I went back and watched all of his targets from the season before in 2018. He was first team all conference for North Texas that year, led the team with 68 catches, 12 touchdowns. That got him in the top 10 in the country. This is a kid that's got long speed. You know, uh, Dane, you talked about that with Stevenson. This is a kid that eats up ground really fast. He's a glider in the open field. He can attack vertically. And I thought he was a proven deep threat as well, where he had the ability to track the football down the field, which you don't always see uh, with those speed guys. It's one thing to be able to run past guys, but you have to be able to find the ball once you get there. I thought he was elusive after the catch. He had a little bit of juice to him. Um, to me, the, the things I wanted to see, we got a little bit better. Uh, play strength was a little bit of a concern mid-route. I thought that he struggled against press corners. Um, to me, I also wanted to see him get a little bit better as a route runner. He's going to have to get better, you know, prove himself after the injury. And now he's transferred as well. He left North Texas this past uh, offseason. Now he's out uh, in Hawaii. So we're going to see him with a new school, new program, new system. Excited to see what Bussy looks like. But I'll tell you what, man, like watching him, you know, Dana, two names I wrote down. One guy that uh, you got to see up close uh, earlier in your career was Michael Gallup. And a guy that I got to see up close early in my career was Jeremy Macklin. And I thought, you know, look, Gallup was a third round pick. Macklin was a first round pick. I'm not saying Bussy necessarily is going to be that, but I thought he had some of that smoothness that you're looking for at the wide receiver position. And with the, when you're talking about a guy who's got that speed with the ability to track it, I saw some impressive things from Bussy. That's why, to me, uh, in terms of who I've studied so far outside the Power Five, he was my favorite in terms of the senior offensive players. Yeah, I think that's that's a good call. And I know at this time last year, he was going into, uh, you know, what we thought might be his last year in college with Mason Fine, at quarterback at UNT. And there was a good chance that we were going to see him uh, be a top 100 pick last year. I thought that he had – he was kind of a borderline – uh, day two, day three type of prospect. And so unfortunately misses most of the year, uh, but that allows him to uh, work his way back. Now he's going to go to Hawaii with Mason Fine, uh, no longer at UNT, graduating, uh, goes to a new program. So I'm with you. I'm eager to see uh, what he can do because there's there's a lot to like there. Uh, he, he, for a guy that's not the biggest, uh, you know, average size, average build, I really like what he did down the field. Uh, he has got hand strength. Uh, he doesn't allow bodies around him to – uh, kind of disrupt his focus. Um, he can fight for body position and they go up in high point 
uh, there, there's plenty to like about this player and a, a guy that would definitely be watching uh, in the new program. So I'll kick things off here for the next category, and we're going to go through our most imp- uh, intriguing underclassmen on offense. And I'm going to go with a guy that really stood out to me for the first time when I saw him live. I was at the Temple-Memphis game last, last summer, or last fall, rather. It was in October. And Kenny Gainwell, the running back from Memphis, uh, really stood out to me uh, in that game. Now, going into last season, Patrick Taylor, the senior, was, seen as, was going to be seen as the guy. Gainwell comes in as a redshirt freshman after Taylor goes down with a little bit of an injury early in the season, and he took off. He ended up winning AAC Rookie of the Year. They were the conference champs. He was first team all-conference. This kid was really, really impressive live. And and just to kind of give an idea of how respected he was by opponents, I actually talked with Temple linebacker Chappelle Russell, ended up being drafted, I think, in the sixth or seventh round this past April. Um, I talked with Chappelle Russell at the Combine, and I said, look, who is the toughest guy uh, that you saw, uh, you know, on the field this year in, in a game. And he told me that it was uh, by far easy decision. It was Gainwell. He said he brings every aspect of the game. He's just not going to stop going. This is a direct quote from Russell. No matter how hard you hit him, he's going to bounce right back up. He's got good balance, great all-around game. You can see how much he cares about everything that he does. To do what he did last year as a freshman, where he was able to contribute to the eventual conference champs, I just think he's going to be a great player. You know, watching Memphis, I've watched some other players on that offense. You can see that he's moved around the formation a little bit, especially early in the year. He was moved around a little bit, so he's got some versatility. He can impact the pass game. Still a young player. But, man, I'm excited to watch a little bit more uh, of Kenny Gainwell. This is a guy, to me, that's really, really intriguing for me moving forward. Yeah, you know how much I love Gainwell, Fran. He's also from uh, Yazoo County, Mississippi, just like our buddy Fletcher Cox. Oh, I didn't even know that. It will be interesting to see Gainwell in the offense without Mike Norvell, who's on his way to Florida State, because Norvell has a great knack at uh, producing these dual-threat backs, whether it's Tony Pollard. We had Antonio Gibson last year. This is Mike Norvell that coached DJ Foster at Arizona State, similar type of player. But just to talk about how special Gainwell is, two players in the country last year, two, had 400 rushing, 400 receiving. Hmm. Kenny Gainwell and our buddy Max Borgie up at Washington State, that little running back out there, just to talk about how elite Kenny Gainwell is. But I'm going to stay in the running back class here with a Buffalo running back, Jarrett Patterson, Fran. Really interesting player. He's a junior, but he's off two huge seasons. Thousand yards rushing as a freshman was the Mac freshman of the year. And then caps that off last year with 1,700 yards, nearly 1,800 yards, and a school record 13 touchdowns. But it's how he did that because over 1,100 of those yards are after contact. And he only has one fumble on those 313 carries. Really fun player to watch, primarily because it's a huge RPO offense. And he has to beat a lot of unblocked defenders at times. So he's got to work in space. He's got to be shifty. He's got to beat them with strength. And you see that in a variety of ways. And listen, if Darrington Evans can be a third-round pick, Anthony McFarlane a fourth-round pick, Jason Huntley a fifth-round pick, Jarrett Patterson at 5'9", 195 is that same profile. And I think if those guys can go in the meat of the draft, there's no reason why Jared Patterson can't as well. A really mm. dynamic player uh, for the Buffalo Bulls. Mm. Well, I like that. Well, I, I brought up a guy from the AAC. Uh, you go to the MAC. Dane, uh, who do you got here for uh, most intriguing underclassmen outside the Power Five? Let's go back to the AAC. And going back to the quarterback position, Desmond Ritter from Cincinnati. This guy, talk about intriguing. He has all the tools that you want. Uh, good size frame. He has some room to add some more bulk. Uh, easy arm strength, very loose passer, 
you do see a lot of checkdowns. You do see a lot of simple crossers, easy reads. So you want to see him, uh, you know, just get better and become a more complete quarterback. But just from a, a tools perspective, uh, he's he's got a projectable body. He's got the the strong arm, the loose athleticism. Uh, you know, he's that Cincinnati offense, a lot of read options. So you saw him use his legs. Uh, but he also shows the ability to put place to use placement down the field. So I really, really intrigued by this player. It just, can he take that next step? He was banged up a little bit last year. Uh, you know, he's part of a little bit of a, a quarterback battle right now in Cincinnati. I, I feel I'm really excited about what he is right now. It's just all about, can he take that next step? So this is a big season coming up for Ritter. If he can take that next step, we're talking about a player who can be a top 50, top 60 type of player. Love it. No, that's uh, certainly a guy that uh, has been in my peripheral. I have not studied him, but uh, interested to get to get my eyes on him moving forward. Hey, that offense was night and day with him in it. They lost those back-to-back right. games with Memphis. I did the conference championship. He didn't play right. the week yeah. before, yeah. but Ritter was in for that conference championship game, and the offense just night and day. It's ability to escape, create improvisationally, get outside the pocket, and they lost the close one to Memphis, and then they blew the doors off of Boston College in the bowl game, 38-6. A really intriguing player with good athleticism. That's right. That's a good call. I completely forgot that you did that game. Uh, let's go I almost over. forgot to. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's get over to the defensive side, guys. We'll go uh, to the top senior uh, on defense in this conference. Ben, you had a late addition to this category, and I'm going to let you kick things off for us here. Uh, who is your top senior on defense? from outside the power five. Well, just to throw a little uh, buyer beware to Dane out there. I like to throw my information out. Fran sets the rundowns and then I throw all sorts of curveballs at you. So you don't know who I'm going to throw out, but I threw this kid on late after getting some buzz a couple months ago, linebacker from the Citadel, Willie Eubanks, the third, he's a senior and he just came off a monster 2019 being the Southern conference defensive player of the year. He's six two, two thirty. He's long, he's big, he's strong. He filled up the statue in every category possible, hundred plus tackles, 11 and a half TFL sacks, forced fumbles, plays in coverage. I'm really looking forward to, and I hope that November 14th matchup against Clemson happens because that's going to be a huge game for Willie Eubanks. He played Alabama two years ago as a young player, only got a couple snaps in, was able to feel what a running back like Josh Jacobs feels feels like to hit. But this kid loaded up the stat sheet. He's a good-looking player. I don't want to say he's the next Darius Leonard, but he sure looks the part, and I would not be surprised to see Willie Eubanks uh, be one of these uh, quick risers in the 2020 season. Cut the crap, Ben. You told me through text last night he was the next Darius Leonard. Put it, put it out there. Put it out there. <laughs> no fence riding. <laughs> All right, Dane, uh, who's, uh, who's your name here? Uh, I went with D'Angelo Malone from Western Kentucky, uh, okay. who was the Conference USA Defensive Player of the Year last year. Uh, really first made his name known as a sophomore. And then last year just took it to a whole nother level, over 20 tackles for a loss. Uh, he's, he's undersized, uh, you know, he's only about 230 pounds. So you worry about that six, three and a half, two thirty. but the juice that he brings off the edge, uh, that that's what can create consistent pressure, uh, on the quarterback. And he's not just a speed guy. You see him mix it up a little bit. He'll extend his, uh, his reach in the blockers, convert that, that first step momentum into power, uh, excellent foot quickness. So he can jump, uh, gap to gap, play the run. 
he's just a very determined quarterback hunter. And you see that with his cornering skills. Uh, you see that with the effort, uh, mostly a stand-up guy. He'll occasionally put his hand on the ground. So, uh, you know, that the Southern Miss tape stands out for me. He had a, a strip sack late in the game that he picked up and uh, brought back for a score. Uh, very lean build. So can he put on some more pounds? Uh, can he get a little bit bigger? That's kind of the big question for me. But, you know, even at 230 pounds, I think he can impact the game in a big way, even if it's just as a nickel rusher. So I'm really excited for D'Angelo Malone out of Western Kentucky. I, I think he could be uh, maybe even get himself in that second round discussion when it's all said and done. Uh, I, I actually uh, picked him as well. And I, I did watch a little bit of film on him. Kind of interesting, man. And uh, Jim Nagy had, had brought him up uh, on Twitter a couple of months ago, uh, said he, he feels he'll definitely be one of the first group of five players drafted next April. Uh, we talked about, you know, you said the, the reigning conference USA defensive player of the year. I don't have too much to add on what you said. I don't want to be too repetitive, but I got a great scouting report on him from Charlotte left tackle Cam Clark, who ended up being, I think, a fourth or fifth round pick of the New York Jets uh, back in February. Cam Clark told me that he was absolutely the toughest matchup that he had last season. He said he's extremely athletic. He can stop on a dime. He can change direction uh, just like that. Um, they didn't have many rush rules with him. And so typically the way he, he lined up, he lined up to the weak side. And he, as he explained it to me, he said, look, he, they gave him the ability he didn't just have to stay in one gap. If he wanted to rush inside, go for it. If he wanted to rush outside, go for it. They allowed him to kind of be a, a wild card off the edge, and that made him very difficult to stop. So he didn't say, you know, look, he didn't want to take anything away from D'Angelo Malone, but he said the scheme and how they use him also kind of accentuated his strengths. And I thought that was a really interesting scouting report there from Cam Clark. And Fran, you know what I love from players like that? He plays the run. He doesn't have to come off the mm -hmm. field. He had 56 quarterback hurries, but he had 60 run stops. And I just love seeing those quarterback hunters that are still uh, productive and enthusiastic players on early downs. And if you're thinking Western Kentucky, uh, I don't know about the competition. You can watch him in 2018 against Wisconsin. You can watch him in 2019 against Arkansas. He's played some top teams, especially in the SEC and the Big Ten, just to uh, have a bit of a litmus test. But I really like the fact that he's a uh, an every down player. Yeah, like I said, he, he went up against uh, a, you know, a mid-round pick in last year's draft, certainly uh, from last season. All right, let's get to our most intriguing underclassmen on defense. Dane, we will start with you for this one. I went with uh, went to Notre Dame, uh, who, you know, obviously one of the uh, – we talk about recruiting rankings. They're usually near the top. They get a lot of four stars, some fives. I uh, went with Ovi Agufo, uh, another undersized pass rusher. He's only – about 6'3", 230, uh, redshirt sophomore, redshirted in 2018. Last year, we saw him on the field, uh, and he didn't he didn't blow up the stat sheet, but he flashed enough where I wrote his name down. I wrote his number down, and I just, okay, want to see more, want to see more. This and this isn't maybe the best underclassman, but in terms of most intriguing, this is who I want to see. What can he do now, uh, you know, with – uh, you know, the you know, Kareem, uh, Khalid Kareem now in the NFL, uh, you know, with uh, the graduations they had in South Bend with, you know, is he going to see more playing time? Is he going to become a starter? I think he has the speed off the edge, uh, the toughness at the point of attack where he could really grow himself into being a, a player we're, we're talking about as a top 100 pass rusher. He's that has that type of potential. Uh, so I went with Notre Dame as well, and I went with the guy who plays just behind him, and a guy that Pete Sampson just talked about in the last segment, and that's Jeremiah Owusu-Koromoa. 
I didn't really know who he was. And then Jalen Elliott, the Notre Dame safety, kind of gave me a heads up on him as a guy that he felt would take that next step for that defense this year. And so I studied him a, a couple of months ago. And this is a kid, Ben, he's he's your overhang guy, right? He's your he's your halfway player. He lined up in the slot. He's six one and a half, 215 pounds. Uh, he's got the burst to, you know, close late. Athleticism, to, you know, that allowed them to match up to 11 personnel in their base defense with three linebackers on the field because he had that athletic ability to be able to play in reverse. I think his instincts can get a little bit better. This was really his only his first year starting. He missed 2017 with a red shirt year, was a backup for two games uh, before in a, an injury in 2018. So didn't play a ton uh, before last season. So I think his, you know, his instincts can certainly get a little bit better. I want to see his play strength improve. He's not great playing through contact right now. Let some guys get through his grasp. Uh, as a tackler, but when you're talking about guys, look, this is a high school safety who made the move to running back or to linebacker. I think he's got some upside to be able to work with still a young guy, only going to be a red shirt junior this year. So watching the red shirt sophomore tape, I can certainly see how the arrow is pointing up on Jeremiah. Mm -hmm. Not a finished product, but a guy that certainly caught my eye as someone that could be really intriguing for them down the road, Ben. Well, I should have stayed with the trend here and gone with another Notre Dame defender with a tough name to pronounce, like uh, <laughs> Anakumbo Ogunadenji, uh, who was another one of these guys that played behind Julian Aquaro and Khalid Kareem last year that's expecting to step up. But uh, I'm going to stay with my uh, kind of sleeper picks here. And we're going to go with a linebacker out of Troy, Carlton Marshall, who is much different frame than Willie Eubanks. Willie Eubanks is 6'2", 230, and Carlton's about 5'10", 215. Much more of the squatty, shorter frame is that playmaking spark plug, uh, you know, that's all over the field and at his size. He was a freshman All-American. He's only a junior this year, uh, but had a huge year last year with 127 tackles, 18 and a half TFLs, plays in the run and the pass, can blitz really well. Uh, he's really good in coverage. I think that's where he's hanging his hat on. Just a little squat. He doesn't have the huge length, but I think the fact he can match up against running backs and tight ends, particularly in man coverage and can turn and run, I think he's that perfect sub-package linebacker. That you see the size, but then you see the size of Deion Jones, and you think the same thing. This is a guy that doesn't have to come off the field, productive player in coverage. And I really just want to see him build on his young career at Troy and now be that kind of veteran leader in the locker room. So we're going to go to the next category here. Biggest sleeper. And this is going to be someone on offense or defense, but just someone who we think is flying under the radar. And I'm going to go first here. And Ben is going to rip me because I'm going to name a player that was first team all conference last year in the Mountain West. So Come it's on, like, all right, well, <laughs> so he wasn't necessarily flying under the radar out there. But on a national stage, you don't really hear a lot of people talking about Warren Jackson. And you guys can correct me if I'm wrong. I haven't seen a lot of buzz about this kid, but he first stood out to me back in 2017 when I was studying Michael Gallup, because this kid's six foot five, he's over 200 pounds, but he was coming off the ball really, really well. And he really, really stood out to me while studying Gallup. So who is this kid on the other side? And he was only a freshman at the time, excited to continue to study this kid. I think he's got uh, certainly NFL ability. Um, I'm excited to do, do, uh, to do a little bit more work on Warren Jackson, big kid who can move pretty well. Yeah, Fran, I just get a little afraid with new head coach Steve Adazio. Are they going to start running the ball a little no bit question. more and maybe not distribute the ball to the outside? But I'll tell you what, they got the jugs machines cooking at Colorado State with Michael Gallup, B.C. Johnson, Preston Williams, Rashard Higgins. They're pumping out plenty of players to the next level. I think the tight uh, but, end this year, I think the tight end this year is also a, a player as well. Yeah, uh, only well, a junior. 
Yeah, I hope he likes right. blocking yeah. in the run game. Yeah, he's going to need to in that offense. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, but Fran, I'm going to go with the guy that's kind of interesting as well. This is a big edge rusher from UAB, Jordan Smith, who's 6'7", 250. But the big disclaimer is he's a Florida transfer. Had some issues early in his career at Florida. He was the one that got caught up in that kind of credit card fraud incident with a handful of players. But he is extremely talented, and despite the kind of early hiccup in his career, has really settled down at UAB, wearing that ugly number 22 number as an edge rusher. But he had 14.5 TFLs and 8.5 sacks. This guy looks the part, has a variety of moves, loves to use his hands. And I would just tell everybody, throw on the tape against Tennessee last year. He had nine quarterback pressures against a bunch of uh, very highly touted offensive linemen, some high recruits, some freshmen that they had to throw in there. Uh, but he was a very, very productive player, and he looks the part. It's just all that off-field stuff that you want to kind of weed through and the uh, the ugly aesthetics of number 22. But uh, I think he's got a promising future if his head is on straight. Dan, who do you have here? Yeah, and I I went down to the FCS level, and, you know, I, I went with Spencer Brown, offensive tackle from Northern Iowa, who uh, this is a guy in high school – he played tight end and defensive end, eight-man football in Iowa. And, you know, he was injured as a junior, so he didn't go to a lot of recruiting camps. He was 230 pounds, 240 pounds. Signs with Northern Iowa, and they move him to offensive tackle, and he's out to 310 pounds. Uh, he's their right tackle. And he just – he has really grown, not only physically, but mentally, technically, Loves the physicality, the position, uh, love the competitive toughness that he plays with. Does a nice job sitting in a stance, mirroring uh, rushers off the edge. Uh, he's still obviously growing. You can tell he's young at the position. He's a little too reactionary uh, with uh, what, what pass rushers are throwing at him. But, uh, you know, you could throw on the Iowa State tape from last year versus an FPS opponent, and he more than holds his own. Uh, so this is, uh, you know, I, I'm a little bullish on him. He might, I think he has a chance to be a one of the top three senior tackles. Uh, and if, you know, we get in our time machine and go to April, and you tell me that he ended up sneaking into the top 100 picks, would not be surprised at all. So this is, a, I think, a true sleeper to keep your eye on, Spencer Brown, tackle from Northern Iowa. I've heard a little bit of buzz about that kid. It seems like the FCS level has a few guys that people are really buzzing on uh, at this point early on in the process. Let's get to the next uh, category. Hey, really quick, Romeo McKnight, Illinois State. A little shout-out here. It was my guy. I was deciding between the two. But Romeo McKnight, really impressive player, Illinois State. That's all I got. All right, all right I'll write him down. I'll write him down. Let's get, to get it out there. the next one here. Uh, most to prove. And this is someone that, uh, look, he could be coming off injury. It could be a scheme change. Maybe the tape that we saw from last year wasn't quite what we imagined it would be, and we want to see the guy kind of reach what the the lofty expectations are uh, from a media standpoint. So a little bit of wiggle room here in terms of our description. But, Ben, I'll let you start things off here. Who's got the most to prove in your eyes uh, from this outside the Power Five? Well, we're going to go to a conversation of Notre Dame defenders that we haven't touched on yet. But uh, this Dalen Hayes was supposed to enjoy a senior season in 2019 with all his other incoming recruits like uh, Khalid Kareem and Julian Aquara. This was supposed to be their swan song season and then had the shoulder injury, I think, three or four games in and shut him down for the rest of the year. And he immediately said, I'm coming back right after the injury he said, I'm coming back and I'm going to do this senior year. Right. He's six, three, he's two sixty. This guy is ready to dominate and be the leader of this defense, particularly getting after the passer uh, is really kind of slow to fill up the stat sheet early in his career and got stuck kind of on the depth chart, but he was a high recruit. They had high expectations. 
this kid looks the part. He's a really good looking player. Reminds me a little bit of uh, the way Jabari Zaniga looked at Florida. A little bit of a squattier frame, mm-hmm. but this kid's rocked up with a thick core, can move him around, really heavy handed. He's put on, I think, nearly 40 or 50 pounds since he showed up at Notre Dame and has really filled out well. Now I just want to see it produce in the stat sheet, stay healthy, stay on the field, and especially with Khalid Kareem and Aquara off to the NFL. This is his position and his sack total to uh, kind of claim as a redshirt senior. Interesting. Dana, who do you have here for this category? And I went with uh, a player we already mentioned, uh, Fran, one of your guys from earlier, Rico Bussey, uh, who goes from North Texas to Hawaii. I won't spend a lot of time on him since we already did. But uh, I, you know, coming off the ACL injury, I'm really excited for what he can do uh, in an offense that uh, we know they're going to put the ball through the in the air. Um, but two other guys I did want to mention – Arkansas State nose tackle, Forrest Merrill, a big, hulking nose tackle who's coming back from injury. And then Cincinnati free safety, James Wiggins, uh, another guy who was banged up last year, but I think has an NFL future ahead of him. Interesting. I'm going to go with a guy that we haven't talked about yet, and he's one of the bigger names, I feel, uh, in the group of five schools, and that's Memphis wide receiver DeMonte Coxie. Uh, Ben, you mentioned earlier, Mike Norvell leaves Memphis. He goes to Florida State. This kid has been the number one receiver for the Memphis Tigers over the last couple of years. He led the team in catches, yards, and touchdowns, uh, led the team in all three categories each of the last two seasons. He's put up big numbers. He's 6'3", 197 pounds. I think he tracks the ball well downfield, rock-solid hands, rarely puts the ball on the ground. I think when you watch him, what's going to happen this year with the new scheme? And look, the, the new coach, he was already on staff, so it's not like there's going to be a huge, huge changeover. But obviously, you know, with some of the guys going from Memphis to Florida State, there's going to be some changes uh, with that scheme. So I am interested uh, to see how Coxie looks on the back end of this year. I'd like to see him get a little bit better uh, as a route runner. He's not a technician yet, so I'd like to see him get a little bit better uh, getting in and out of breaks. I didn't see a great my ball mentality in the air. I want to see him battle for a little bit better uh, for a bigger kid. But this guy, he kind of reminds me, guys, you remember like Javon Williams coming out of Georgia a couple of years ago. I think Coxie has a similar skill set. I mean, and he has stuck in the NFL. So I'm interested to see Coxie uh, here with another year under his belt and a little bit of a different scheme this year for the Memphis Tigers. Well, Fran, really quick. I mean, with Antonio Gibson coming out, Memphis's success last year winning the conference, he was a productive player consistently yeah. the last two years. And, you know, sometimes those players, I just wonder what they're being told on their draft stocks for better or worse. We see so many guys come out early. And then I see some guys like Coxie to say, I don't know how much more he could have improved on what he has on tape and his production. Uh, so just kind of what the conversation is on a player staying that maybe showed enough already. Yeah, yeah he well, turns 24 years old in November. So he is definitely an older player. Yeah, this is a kid that had. Uh, a severe knee injury late in his career in high school. He was a a big-time track athlete uh, down in uh, Louisiana. He committed to LSU two times before the injury, and then he he had offers from, like, Alabama, everywhere else. But when he had that injury in his last year of track in high school, all the big schools pulled out. Memphis swooped in and scooped him up, and he was productive uh, very early in his career. So this is a guy that's a a big-time talent and was was coveted uh, as a high school recruit. But uh, going to be very interesting to see how he pans out here in his final season on campus. Let's go uh, now to a newcomer on the scene. So the way I kind of view this is either, you know, someone that's a, a transfer or, uh, you know, even could be, uh, you know, like a redshirt freshman or something like that. But to me also, 
could include a replacement player. So, you know, uh, someone that's stepping in for a guy that, uh, you know, maybe, maybe he's a first-year starter or they just had somebody drafted going on to the NFL and who's going to step into that role. So, again, a little bit of wiggle room here with this category. But, Dane, I'll let you kick things off here. Who's your newcomer on the scene outside the Power Five? Well, my eye immediately went to Notre Dame and that receiving core because when you look at it, Chase Claypool's gone. Cole Komet's gone. Uh, Chris Fink's gone. Notre Dame does not return a pass catcher who had more than 16 catches last year. So the targets have to go somewhere. And Javon McKinley is a name I I think is worth keeping on the radar. Battled some injuries. He had a tough time getting on the field earlier in his career, but he flashed a little bit last season. Uh, And I think it's time for him to step up, take on more of a role for the Irish. He looks the part. He's 6'2", 220. Uh, not really a burner, but he plays physical. He'll break tackles. He had a, a ridiculous catch and run score against New Mexico uh, last season. So if he can find any type of consistency, I, I think the targets will be there. The playing time will be there. Uh, I think McKinley could be one of those players that benefits from uh, the opportunity that's there with the Irish right now. Interesting. I actually stuck with uh, with Notre Dame as well. And, you know, one of the things I love doing, guys, is like, you know, when we go to these events in the offseason, you know, the Senior Bowl, the Shrine Bowl, uh, the Combine, I love talking with players about not just like, you know, you can talk about themselves, and I feel like they're a little bit coached up when they're talking about the media, about, you know, themselves and their team. I like talking to them about either opponents or guys coming down the road and just get some, you know, some raw answers from those guys. And uh, to me, one guy that kept popping up with every Notre Dame player was Kevin Austin, the wide receiver who's going to be a redshirt sophomore. He was suspended last year, uh, undisclosed reasons why. So he was really only practicing last year as a redshirt player. 6'2", 210 pounds. First popped on my radar when I talked to Troy Pride down at the Senior Bowl, and he was like, look, this is the guy that no one is talking about right now. Kevin Austin, phenomenal athlete, phenomenal player. He said, I went up against him every single day on scout team. He had some issues, but I went up against him, and he made me better every single day. He, and he started joking. He's like, I won most of the matchups, but he's going to be a household name. Every day you can, you can ask anybody about our battles in one-on-ones and team drills. The kid is a dog. He's a guy that every, everyone, everyone liked. I talked with Chase Claypool. I talked with Chris Fink. I talked with Jalen Elliott. I talked with some of those defensive ends. All of them to a man brought up Kevin Austin as a guy to keep an eye on here for the Fighting Irish. So, you know, look, we'll see what this season looks like here for Notre Dame. I'm really excited to see this kid take the field and see what he can do for this offense and Ian Book. Hey, the fun thing about this conversation, both those names I know nothing about. I'm sitting here typing them in my spreadsheet, uh, just young and unproven and excited to see what they can do in that offense. But I might as well group the three big-name Notre Dame transfers all together here in one conversation, and that's uh, cornerback Nick McLeod coming over from NC State as a grad transfer. These are interesting players because he was on the senior bowl watch list last year but had to take a medical redshirt. He was a team captain. They play a lot of physical press man coverage down there. He's a physical player. Man, they really work out those defensive backs, especially in the weight room. They're doing something right. This, the kids always seem to put up uh, high numbers on the bench press and seem to be the workout warriors off the field. And going to the safety position, they brought over four-star from IMG Academy, Isaiah Pryor from Ohio State, who just couldn't get on the field, only played 40 snaps last year, was seemingly going to be that fifth or sixth guy off the bench. But Ohio State doesn't play sub-package defense. 
they have uh, play, play, they play primarily base defense because of their versatile linebackers and their defensive backs that will come up and tackle. And they had some veteran presence with Akuda and Damon Arnett and Jordan Fuller. Isaiah Pryor just couldn't get on the field, but he's a good-looking player at 6'2", 202, and should be competing uh, on the back end with Kyle Hamilton and some of those other young guys like Houston Griffin coming in, who's a top 100 player. And then a late transfer, which I just found out about, was Bennett Skoranek, who is a nice receiver from Northwestern, has over 100 catches, 1,400 yards in his career at Northwestern, was also on the Senior Bowl watch list last year, but missed most of 2019 with an injury. So he's coming over on a grad transfer. So that's three players with a lot of experience, a lot of on-field time already, and maybe not so much Isaiah Pryor, but Nick McLeod and Skoranek have played a lot of ball. And I just love seeing the veteran presence come over to Notre Dame because, uh, you know, there are spots to fill. They lost a lot of veteran guys, especially on the back end of the defense with uh, Aloe Gilman and the other safety that left and Cole Komet's gone. And uh, they just lost a lot of players the last two years. So I think there was some room for some transfers to come in and contribute right away. It's uh, good stuff. I mean, a bunch of Notre Dame players, certainly, uh, to keep an eye on. And I'm going to keep it going here with, uh, with the next category, a future studs. This is a player that's not draft eligible for 2021, but we need to keep an eye on for the future. Ben, you just alluded to him, and uh, Pete Sampson mentioned him in the last segment. Kyle Hamilton, man, like every time I turned on Notre Dame tape this year, I, and I wrote him down when I was studying Troy Pride, I t- wrote him down when I was studying uh, Jalen Elliott, this kid was a true freshman last year, 6'4", 210 pounds. He would run the alley, lay a huge lick on a ball carrier. You'd see the range from the middle of the field. He's making plays outside the numbers. I'm really intrigued for this kid and see what he looks like. You know, look, I haven't done any full studies on him or anything, but just what the, the flashes I've seen, really, really impressed uh, by uh, Kyle Hamilton. Again, 6'4", 210, only going to be a true sophomore this season, uh, but certainly a name I'm going to keep an eye on here moving forward. Ben, who's, uh, who's your name here? Man, I got to tell you guys, there's a lot of young, exciting cornerbacks in college football, and there's a bunch that aren't draft eligible. We all know about Derek Stingley, and uh, you have uh, Trayvon Mullen's brother at Indiana, Taiwan Mullen, and uh, who's some other guys. You have Chris Steele at USC, and there's a bunch of exciting guys. But this kid, Ahmad Gardner, at the University of Cincinnati, is as good as any of them. He's going to be a true sophomore this year, 6'2", 178. Tall, long, and an absolute ball hawk, lockdown press corner. He had three picks last year, six PBUs, two of those picks returned for touchdowns. He was a third-team All-American from Pro Football Focus. Not freshman All-American, All-American of everybody. So just to tell you of his ability and his potential, huge pick six against UCF that turned the tide, huge pick six against ECU that pretty much sealed the game. They lost that conference championship to Memphis, like I had mentioned. But he's a guy that really looks the part with his length and his ball skills. And he's playing with a guy, safety James Wigan on the back end, who's a nice safety, who's a senior. So uh, that defense has a bunch of intriguing players. But Ahmad Gardner, really looking forward to studying him for the uh, 2022 draft. I love it. There was a first-team all-conference player last year uh, in the AAC. Dane, uh, wrap us up here. Take us home. Yeah, and you know what? I'll be honest. I really wanted to go with uh, Notre Dame punter Jay Bramblett for this uh, this category. <laughs> Look, this guy had an outstanding freshman year as a Dane, punter. We have rules on this podcast. <laughs> and, all right, hey, come on. That's why I said I really wanted to, but I, I did. I didn't want to lose all credibility on my first uh, first episode. So, uh, but listen, he's a guy we'll be talking about as in a few years as being draftable. I went with Sincere McCormick, uh, uh, running back from UTSA. 
Uh, studying a few players on Baylor's defense last year when this kid really jumped off the screen. He had a couple touchdowns in that game, uh, in that game, some big plays. And I was surprised. He was only a true freshman. So he's a little undersized, about 5'9", maybe 200 pounds. But he's got the juice. So uh, Sincere McCormick, definitely a name to file away. Hey, Fred, really quick. I just want to take two seconds that we seem to have gone through an hour podcast and we didn't mention any BYU players. And there's some of these independent schools that are getting absolutely ransacked right now with their schedule. They've already had their first four games canceled against Utah, Michigan State, Arizona State, Minnesota, and they have a variety of talent. I love their center, James Epi. He was probably one of the best centers in the country. Matt Bushman at tight end. Brady Christensen at tackle. Of course, there's another Kafusi out there at linebacker. Always, uh, yeah. Kyrus Tonga at nose tackle. Yeah. And these some of these independent teams are going to have really tough slates in 2020 because of all the non-conference games being canceled. Uh, from other conferences. So Notre Dame's going to be in the same boat, but BYU just so happened. We didn't mention any players, but this is a strong football program with some older players, but absolutely some NFL talent every year. And uh, we'll see what their schedule holds and how their season's going to play out. But uh, I just wanted to give them a quick shout out. Saw two of their games in person last year against Tennessee and USC. Really impressive team. They're really uh, well-built. I was shocked that you didn't bring up Matt Bushman, man. Uh, I'm very, very surprised considering uh, the love you gave him last fall. Well, guys, uh, this was fun. Uh, Dane, you mentioned you studied the the sincere McCormick kid stood out to you when you were watching Baylor. Uh, we will be talking about Baylor and the rest of the Big 12 next week here on the Journey of the Draft podcast driven by AAA. Gentlemen, thank you once again. We will talk to you here next week. Now it's time to hear from you, the fans, in the Draft Mailbag. Well, that was awesome stuff from uh, both Ben and Dane. Hope you guys enjoyed that. We've got a lot more to come here uh, as we do the ne- the five uh, Power Five conferences here. As I mentioned, we're going to do the Big 12 next week. So uh, we're going get to th- get things going here. A draft mailbag. We don't have a question, but just a comment uh, that I wanted to give a shout-out to. Do Senate left a five-star review on our Apple podcast page saying, really enjoyed the segment that we talked about. Uh, players, you know, the, some of our sleepers in previous years who panned out and guys who didn't. Uh, I'm assuming that's in reference to uh, our 20 16 NFL draft recap. So if you haven't already, that was a really fun episode. It was a long one, but it was a fun episode that Ben and I did a couple of weeks ago uh, here on the Journey of the Draft podcast, where we just kind of look back at the 2016 draft. It was four years ago. What are some of the lessons we learned about our own evaluations and how players worked out and who didn't, and maybe just kind of, you know, some themes as to why. Really, really fun chat uh, with Ben and myself from a couple of weeks ago here on the Journey of the Draft podcast. So thank you so much uh, to Do Senate for the five-star review over on our Apple podcast page. If you ever have any questions about any players and what the season could look like in the NFL draft, it could be trait-based. You know, what do we look for at this position or that position? Feel free. Go on to Apple Podcasts, leave us a rating, leave us a comment, and we will hit it here on the show. We've got a couple more that we'll hit on here in the next couple of weeks. So that being said, nice long episode here for our outside the Power Five preview for the 2020 uh, NFL or the college football season and the 2021 NFL draft. Thanks so much for joining us here on the Journey to the Draft podcast, driven by AAA.